It's Thursday, October 4th, 2018, and you're listening to episode 497 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 57 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Caleb. This is Wayne. And my name is Chad. All right, one quick announcement. I was a guest host on a podcast called Gaming with Gage, and I was actually surprised to learn that Gage is his real name. So he's like a Street Fighter kind of guy? Yes, or, that okay. is in fact exactly what so he from is. from 80s martial arts movie? In 1980s, Cyborg. So, oh, excellent. And I just presumed it was a name he had, I don't know, like a pseudonym, right? Right. Because there's still people that do it within podcasts. It's not as common. I think people tend to use the real names, but... There are people who pick up pseudonyms, and so mm-hmm. I figured, well, Gage, it's got to be a pseudonym. No, that's his real name. Mm. So I talked to Gage about Fear the Boot, about some of the history of podcasting, about gaming, about all kinds of stuff. So if you want to check that out, check the show notes. I will link to the episode of Gaming with Gage, where I talked to him for about an hour, hour and a half. And so I hope you will give that a listen. All right, so let's get to it. So Wayne, we're going to talk about and I'm not sure how to set this up because I don't want to say the rules guy because that implies something we're really not doing. Yeah. I was kind of thinking the same thing as how do you even set up this topic? When I thought about suggesting it, I thought about the rules guy and teaching new players rules. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily even new players, but... You're the rules mentor. Yeah. Well, and you take them under your wing. Let's see. And... Let's go with rules explainer. Because <laughs> okay. that... Do we have to? Yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> Because you've played this role before, Chad, so you were a rules explainer. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So, basically, the concept here is that when you have a whole table of people that don't want to learn and read the rules Mm -hmm. more than what they have to, and then you've got one guy who is not the GM who likes rules and likes exploring it or just wants to make the game better and notices that there are things that just aren't right. Sure. And I think we could even change up how this happened. This may not be that people didn't read the rules. This could be it's a new game. This could be you just grabbed it at random. You walk into a game shop. This is what they're playing. But there is a group where you play multiple games. Like every three months or so, you switch campaigns to a totally new game. You're not going to buy like six copies of eight books. Or it's a homebrew. Right. Mm -hmm. But the point is that there is one or more person at the table that knows the rules substantially better than some other person or persons at the table. Yep. And so for our examples of these situations, I've got two in in mind for this specific setup. Yeah, this can play out in a whole lot of good and bad ways. So the first one was our Dresden Files game. Mm -hmm. Chad, at some point, decided, I want to read the book. Right. I, I don't know what triggered this. I know nothing about Dresden. And I've said it before. I think we've even mentioned this before. Wayne's Dresden game is brilliant. Wayne is a GMing savant. Mm-hmm. And everyone is always chomping at the bit for Wayne to run his Dresden game. Because it's so wonderful. But we never want to pressure him. Because we don't want to put, you know, we don't want to put a bad spin on it or anything. <laughs> Whenever you're ready. There's like a whole bunch of people just waiting on the sidelines on the edge of their seat. Whenever you're ready. Ready, Wayne, just to do it right now, right now. You don't but, squeeze an egg while it's hard boiling. Exactly. <laughs> we understand. You got to give it time. But I didn't know anything about Dresden. I never read the books. Such I, a sad thing. Well, you know, I, I'm not a huge. I'm not huge into fantasy. I have read some fantasy, mm. and at the time, 
I wasn't really into uh, modern fantasy either. Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, at that time, I remember you saying you weren't really into fiction at all for a while. Yeah, yeah. You were reading all nonfiction books. Yeah, I read a lot of histories, memoirs, things like that. I very rarely read fiction anymore, and so I knew I knew nothing about. It. I had seen the TV show. And every time I had mentioned oh. that I, I had watched TV, yep, see, you're making oh. that face. Yep, that <laughs> is the reaction. It was okay, but it was yeah. not It was not oh, dressed in. For someone who's never read yeah, the books. No, they were, it, it, was, was it was actually pretty good. It was yeah. a fun, entertaining, you know, different I, I, kind I had of show. To, I had to it, turn off my Dresden brain right. intentionally and go, what is this going to present to me? And I thought it was fun for, for that. For what it well, was. And that's because it sounds like you read the books before you oh, came to the yeah, show. Yeah, absolutely. That wasn't the case for me. That wasn't the case. For, well, Chad hasn't read the book, but it wasn't right. the case for him. It was what made me interested in the books. I, I, I and I'm glad you were able to get interested <laughs> in it. So I, I, I didn't come that. in with any preconceived notions. I came sure. in, yeah. this was a show by itself. That was one season, watched it, enjoyed it. And then I wanted more, and I went to the books, and yeah, right. yeah I see why people don't like it. But oh, if you yeah. don't come in with that baggage, it's not as bad as people make it out to be. I played Wayne's Game. I'm not even sure I saw the show first. Sure. Played Wayne's Game, watched the show, because I wasn't interested in the book. I'm sure the books are great. It just wasn't. I, I have a stack of books at any one time. Right. And I don't really like putting more books into it until I kind of get the stack down, and then it's like, do I want to read, you know, a history of the Roman Empire or do I want to read an urban fantasy? Well, my take is I kind of want to read the history, mm-hmm. but I played, I think, like at least a couple of campaigns under Wayne of this. And I'm like, I don't understand the setting. I mean, sure, I get magic and I get demons and I get elves and stuff. And right. you put them in a modern spin that it's not Shadowrun. It's very different. I'm like, yep. but I don't get the the nitty gritty of how the world works. You've never played World of Darkness? Not really. You because, know, once or twice. I mean, literally. Uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, right. that's where it, he designed his whole, the yeah. whole story system from that. I mean, I don't know if you've referred to Jim Butcher. He actually was playing in World of Darkness. Mm-hmm. That's where he came up with the whole idea sure. from. And in fact, I had never played World of Darkness. I had yeah. played it oh, like wow. once or twice. Not really okay. anything serious. Uh, in right. fact, I had played... I think I've put more time into the Vampire the Masquerade video game than I have so the tabletop game. Yeah, yeah. You which is wonderful. One of the creatures game, in the world, but yeah. yeah, you didn't understand the world right. at large. So yeah. that's why I'm like, well, okay, I, I want to interact with this game more. Yeah. And so, and I want to do it well, so I'm going to read the book. Not the Jim Butcher, the, the role-playing game right. book. And it's actually really well written because mm-hmm. interdispersed within it is... In character fiction, no, it's like one of the yep. characters in the books is writing a role-playing game because they play role-playing games in the books. Yep. They're writing the notes. Yep. Here's what you can talk about. Here's what you can't talk about. And they're talking yep. about both things. And it was very entertaining. And I got a really good feel for the book. Yeah, it goes back to within the setting, Bram Stoker wrote a, a novel. That novel is, here's a pamphlet of how you kill vampires. Hmm. So one of the characters in the books, Billy, starts writing that same type thing, thing only right. couching it as a role-playing game right. and then he has bob the skull and dresden are writing notes throughout the different books so right. my group i mean we had some very traditional D players and we had people who'd play D and BattleTech, and and really not much else mm-hmm. and so fate was kind of an off-the-wall thing for them not so much for wayne because mm-hmm. i mean obviously he was well, running and played other mm-hmm. stuff before and I had played games like it, but I had never played actual Fate, not real, maybe at a con game, but not real deep Fate. So while I was reading it, I'm like, hey, wait a minute. 
we've been doing this wrong the entire time. Or I'd get to this, oh, that's pretty interesting. Oh, that's how werewolves work. Oh, that's very interesting. Wait a minute. I've been doing this wrong. I've been screwing myself. And it's just like, you know, go for it. It's like, oh, okay, here's all the different vampire. Oh, okay, that's it. Oh, I have been totally screwing the rules in my favor by accident. Okay. Yep. And so there was this realization where I'm like, okay, I need to kind of figure, you know, I, I don't want to be an yeah. idiot anymore. I need to figure out how I to I need to grok the book. And we are very much a group where you run your character. Yes. Each absolutely. character has its own mechanics. You, it's your responsibility oh, yeah, to right? know how that works. Yeah. yeah. And Wayne kind of got us through that, like to where we can make a character. We just basically knew what we were doing. And Wayne kind of ran the rules in the background. I mean, we would kind of give him the deer in the headlight look of, well, this is what I want to do. And he's just like, okay, roll these dice and then say this to me. <laughs> and that's like, you know, because you tap in your fate thing or whatever, yeah. right? God, it's been so long, I don't remember the terminology. And that worked. Well, we started up a new campaign. Uh, this was a couple of years ago. I had finished reading the book. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I redid my character sheet. I worked with, well, no, I made a new character. Yeah. Because I have like four characters in this game. And I made a new character, and it was like 100% with the rules, but the character operated within itself, and it was consistent, mm-hmm. and it did what I wanted the character to do, not just in combat, but in feel and that sort of thing. And I was actually able to help Wayne. Wayne was running his game, and then somebody would try and do something, and then instead of Wayne having to stop and look at the person with the deer in the headlights mm-hmm. look, say, okay, well, what does your character sheet say? Okay, roll these dice. Now, I was able to say, don't do that. You're going to want to try this. Do mm-hmm. it like this. Or, hey, you got this yeah. on your character sheet? Yeah. Try that. Because on this yeah. page, it says you can do this. You were taking, okay, what do you want to do? What the GM idea of what do you want to do? And saying, here's some cool things you can do with that. This is what I think you're trying to get to. Right. Without not, yeah. stomping on what the Wayne GM, was yeah, trying right. to do. And right. also without and trying finally, to Finally, as a player doing compels. Yes. Yeah. That's where some of the real fun happens is if you can get the players to compel each other. I never got that working until he realized he read the book and started doing it. I didn't so, know what a compel was until I read the book. So let's start with. The good model for this, which I think is trying to describe to somebody some options and some warnings without actually dictating their actions. So I'm going to come back to some of the ways this can go wrong, dictating actions being one of them, because what you want to do is say to somebody, and I think Caleb, you just put it really well. I'm going to try and help you achieve what it is you want to achieve Mm -hmm. that you may not know within the system that certain things are possible. You may not know what all the numbers on your character sheet mean or what the various spells do or any number of things. You so, may not even know what a compel is. I have a great example of that but from this Sunday. On too. the flip side, you also want to give them warnings that, okay, if you do this, you are opening yourself up for some kind of a problem. That if you cast that spell, there's a chance that you can get a warp phenomenon or whatever and something bad happens. But (laughs) But in the process, you don't want to actually get down to dictating somebody's action. You're just educating them. Yeah, so a good example for me on this was this past Sunday. So in the Sunday D&D game, uh, we're sitting there in, in a... And I'm running this, yep. and then Wayne is a player. Yep. So Dawn is playing a paladin. And it's something I've recently known as looking through some of the rules, particularly paladin rules, because I've never played a paladin. 
So I was looking through some of their spells. A lot of them are bonus action ones. So at mm-hmm. that point, I talk, I, yeah, I'm talking to Dawn, and she's never really cast spells in combat. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, for uh, for the spellcasters, double check your spells. Do you have any that say bonus action on them? Oh, yeah. I say this to everyone at the table because everyone has spells, but mostly I'm saying it for Dawn's mm-hmm. benefit, but I don't want to single her out. Right. So I say that for everyone, and everyone kind of looks through. It's like, if you have a one that says bonus, that means you can do it and do then do your attack, or you can do your attack and then do it. It's mm-hmm. not a separate thing. That's going to completely change how Dawn plays her character, yeah. I think. Yeah. And I've done the same thing here and there for, you know, the ranger. Hey, that seemed really low bonus. Are you adding your proficiency to it? Right. I haven't done like Chad was doing of, mm-hmm. here's how you do this. Hey, you could do this. I've instead been doing it as, like, between moments, just, yeah, yeah. hey, did you know you can do that? Or, mm-hmm. hey, that yeah. number doesn't seem right. Are you adding this in? Yeah. And that's it's, how I've right. been doing it. It's a lot, it's a lot more low key. Whereas what I was doing, I think it helps. It's D and D it's, Hey, yeah. you rolled a 15. You need a 16 to hit him, but are you sure you added everything in? Right. And right. it's like, yep. what do I need? Well, this and this, Oh, well, that gives me the plus that I need. Yay. Yep. Whereas in fate, it's this esoteric market economy of ideas Right. So you can't. Well, yeah. Did you tap this well, aspect? And did you use. So and I think the whole point of it is players want their character to do certain things. They want them to be certain things. And if they don't understand the rules, mm-hmm. they're kneecapping themselves. Chad and I are bo- yeah. in both situations. We're trying to help the players actualize what they're trying to do. And if they're shortcutting themselves by not knowing that they have a bonus here or yeah. not knowing that they can tag something, then they're not having, I don't want to say they're not having as much fun as they could have because you don't need to succeed to have fun, but well, they're, they're fun, not living up to their potential of yeah, what they want. Right. Their right. fun potential is capped. Yes. <laughs> well, and I think the important thing there is to teach the concepts to not just tell them you ought to do this or mm. no, you actually have a plus three, but to in- instead explain to them, this is why you have a plus three. This is what the things on your character sheet means to make it very low pressure to say, okay, there's a lot here, or maybe there's not any on the game, but you're going to pick this up over time to show through example, to do whatever it takes to make sure they learn it. And this is where I'm going to hit the first point where this can go off the rails. Role players, we can be entirely too helpful because we're trying to play the game. And by the game, I mean the mm-hmm. rules, not the fun of the table. And this is something I've heard from a lot of conventions, especially from people that feel intimidated or feel socially taken aback by the boisterousness at the table is they feel like the person next to them basically starts playing their character for them. That every round they're being told what the most optimal action is. You need to cast this spell. You need to move over here. You need to stand here and do that. And pretty soon they're not playing their character anymore because you're not teaching them how to play their character. Mm -hmm. You're just playing the character for them. Right. They're not learning anything. They're not having any fun. They're just getting frustrated. And if you're going to play the character for them, Talk to the GM about taking on a retainer. Right. <laughs> Let right. them play their own damn character. And I've had that before in some games where everyone at the table is a seasoned veteran player. Mm-hmm. And I've never played this system before. And suddenly every mistake they've ever made, I don't get to make those for myself. Right. I can learn from a mistake. I like giving advice, helping out. Right. But 
there is something to be said for letting people make the mistakes and learn from it. And that's something that a lot of times I didn't have because I had a lot of seasoned gamers mm-hmm. around me that immediately saw what I was about to do was going to be bad. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, and tied into that is instruction that has no explanation. And I, did, I mean, this is a little bit differently than what I just described. You may not be telling them what an action is, but they say, okay, I'm going to do this. And you just tell them, okay, well, you need to roll and get a 15. Well, well how did you arrive at yeah, that Well, number? it's like the yeah. ranger, you know, it's like she rolls and she says, I miss. And if Wayne would lean over and, and kind of glance at her character, she can goes, no, she hit. Well, yeah. what the hell does that do? Yeah. What did no, Wayne what, instead yeah. goes, okay, you rolled this. Uh, that seems a little low. Did you add this proficiency mm-hmm. in? And you're also a ranger, and so you get this bonus mm-hmm. because of this. Did you add that in? And she, boom, boom. <gasps> I hit. And yeah, it, right. suddenly it's just like this You see moment. the light in yeah. the eyes that, oh, that's what that meant. Right, right. And you guys are talking about this, and I, I'm, I'll am i be honest with you. I've spent most of my time over the years in the GM's seat. And I play, you were talking about the three months play this game, three months mm-hmm. play that. Oh, man, that is my bailiwick now i like D and some of the majors out there but i'm such a try something new see what's out there introduce new people to gaming i think most of my gaming groups have been new players mm-hmm. i've had only had a couple of times where i've had i usually have a veteran too in the game but the majority of the games that i've run have been brand new people to gaming or have they've just played like D D a little bit here and there and really haven't got to start to playing and i'll throw something like the Dresden's uh, game at them or uh, the Firefly uh, mm-hmm. RPG or, you know, I'm like, what do you want to play? What kind of story do you want to tell? And then I go find the game system that fits that. Yeah. I don't yeah. usually say, okay, we're going to go play D and D at my house today. Yeah. Now I will say that if they want that, if they say, I want to play D and D I'll, I'll run you a D and D game till next week. Uh, a whole week of D and D just all nonstop. No. Um, so part of the reason the gnarl game ever happened. Yeah was at that point I had been gaming for years with these guys and it's like I've never played D D. Oh yeah. Ever. Mm, right. that was, oh you got, <laughs> that was part of such the a, impetus. Uh, an unusual group yeah. for that kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. And that was part of the impetus behind it was mm-hmm. I've never played D D. I would like to try D D. And that was one yeah. of the reasons for the Gnarl game. I've been doing a lot of D D lately more so than in right. the past because I really like fifth edition. Mm-hmm. And uh, going into another another example of this uh, teaching thing, at a Adventures League game last week, I'm running the game. This woman sits down next to me, and as we're going through the uh, the night, I realize she's a fairly new player. Mm-hmm. And she's, she's talking to me about it. She's like, yeah, I always try to sit to the right of the GM, so if I have a question, I don't interrupt the whole table. And so they can help me if I need it. And I start talking to her about how she, in her previous games and the people she's played with how they've been with you know helping her learn things and basically the person that had been trying to teach her was he would look over at her sheet and tell her okay roll yep you hit nope and it was exactly what we were just Mm -hmm. talking about of not giving any reasons why any of that actions Mm -hmm. and numbers and no context or flow and i was like that would have to be frustrating because you don't learn it's like yeah i hate it (laughs) i i would have walked out if that had been the way they did things and on a consistent basis, I would have been like, this yeah. is no fun. Yeah. Why, why am I here? Yeah. So I you think know. that's one of the big keys when you're trying to help somebody that wants to learn. Right. Cause some people just don't want to learn. They just, right. they just want that. And you know, there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. 
as long as yeah. they bring a, a good game to the table, mm-hmm. and as long as they have just even the most elementary understanding of what's going on, they don't have to learn right. the rules. Right. Just, well, I'm playing D&D, I want to attack, at least they're picking up a D20. Right, or the, or, or they understand the, the setting you're in, yes. or the flavor you're going yeah. for. Because I know some, some people that are completely really good role players couldn't l- read a rule book if it, they wanted to, because they just don't... It's, just can't understand what's yeah. going on. They can't pick it up or they don't want to because it's not their bailiwick. They have no interest in the rules. Oh, really. Yeah. They'll play along with everyone else because it's a collaborative storytelling system and they'll have somebody next to them. That's really good at rules and mm-hmm. they'll roll for them. I've played in those games. And then there's also the character builder type of helper yeah. and your, you know, your rules guy who just knows rules and will he's the reference guy. You don't need a book. You just call, ask, Hey Joe, you know, you just go to those guys and they can tell you the rule off the top of their head and, you know, you don't have to think about it. But yeah. they don't shove the rules at you generally. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I've always grown up with is people who don't shove the rules at you. But I have seen those at cons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's frustrating. Yeah. It is great when you have it's even better if they're a somebody who GMs. But when you have one or two people at the table that know rules mm-hmm. and you can do a quick, hey, what's the rule for this? Mm-hmm. And not have to look it up because the worst thing when you're role playing and you're running a game is to have to pause the game to look something up. I usually will just make something up on the fly. Right. But when you have somebody, you know, let's say this is a rule for a paladin and Chad has played 50 (laughs) paladins in his life. You can Mm -hmm. quickly say, Hey Chad, how does lay on hands work? Right. Or well, it's inappropriate touching is what it is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or in our current game, we have a couple copies of the books because I have a copy Mm -hmm. myself. Chad has a copy. And Chad will easily look over at me and say, "Hey, what's the uh, what's the rule on this?" And then he can keep the role play going yeah. while we wait for that answer. While I look it up, yeah. And that wonderful comes in resource, wonderful yeah. resource, especially the spells, because you know all the players have all of their spells or their rule specific yeah. resources. Because you can put right. this in any yeah. game you want. Nobody can memorize all the spells. No, nobody can. And so right. they have spell cards or they have this or that. Well, I'm running a game and. I don't plan out every single combat encounter. Are you kidding me? So I open the monster manual. Well, this challenge rating looked good. And this looks like a fun fight. Oh, they have flying flaming bath spell. What the way? (laughs) (laughs) Look this spell off. That gets really dangerous with anything with D&D because you miss out. You can't make it even a fair fight. It could be completely unbalanced fight, and not that you have to have a balanced, magical, you know, perfect balanced fight well, for D anD D, but you you want something that's got some challenge to them to allow them to use yes. those really cool things they got. Otherwise, they're just doing the basic attack and yeah. then you kill the creature because you don't know how to play that that enemy. Yeah. A really easy combat is boring and leaves you thinking, "What's the point of it?" Right, because you don't get to do any of the really cool stuff. Or, or but in see a combat cool that kills the, yeah. the entire party is not fun because the yeah. party's dead. Yeah. Well, we, yeah. or in our group, if you do two hit points to somebody and they've cast two spells, they're like done for the day. <laughs> <laughs> so let me give an example of something else that I think people can relate to to show what I think works and doesn't work here. I want you to think of gaming like a courtroom. All right. Now you are somebody who is on the stand. All right. So you are the uneducated player is somebody who is on the stand. Now, what is the purpose of an attorney? Well, in my mind, an attorney is there. And I I think fundamentally, this is one of the worst problems 
and jurisprudence in almost every modern country today is the courts are completely unnavigable to a layman. That you cannot walk in, have a case, and simply be right and expect to succeed at anything. You know, it's you have to know how to file this motion and what this legalese means. And, you know, you can get away with this, but not this. And that type of thing can be admitted. And this can't all the maneuverings that go in there. You have to hire somebody who is going to come in and is going to represent you. All right. And usually how that ends up working out is depending on the nature of the court case, whether it's civil or criminal or whatever, is you may be present. But you're not really contributing to the situation. You're simply being represented by somebody else. So you're not playing the game. There's a judge, there's a prosecutor, and that could be a monster if we want to keep this metaphor going. So that could be the enemy, right? There's a monster. You're the defendant, and you've got a lawyer who might be another player at the table. We'll just keep going with this metaphor. <clears throat> Rules lawyer. It, it, <laughs> precisely. And what well, That's is, why you hired him. Yeah. And in... A courtroom, you're not there to play the game. You're there to win, right? Mm -hmm. You don't care as much. Now, you certainly want an attorney to explain to you what's going on, to tell you what your options are, to tell you what things mean. But ultimately, I think most people don't really want to play the courtroom game. They just want to win and go home. All right. That's not role playing. People want to play the game. They want to be involved in this trial. And so if you have a lawyer who simply walks in and maybe has the best of intentions, but never allows you to take the stand, never allows you to decide on your own what you're going to do, never allows you to take the floor and make an argument, well, that's not a very good experience for you. Now, they may have had, once again, the best of intentions, but they can overshadow you. And I think something else they can do is what you just said, which is they become the rules lawyer. Mm-hmm. That suddenly they become disruptive to the game or disruptive to the game master, the judge in the courtroom, because of the fact that they're trying to stand up for you. So you say, okay, well, can I swing my sword at this? And the person's helping you says, well, yes. And you have a pretty good role there. So that, that's a good idea. I think you ought to, that, that's worthwhile. Why don't you do that? So you say, right. okay, well, I'm going to swing my sword. And the judge says, well, it misses for this reason. Well, your honor, on page 149 <laughs> of this stupid splat book is some stupid rule which ties back to page 23 of some other stupid splat book that we've mm-hmm. ridiculously allowed into this courtroom. <laughs> and if you tie these things together, you can see that my client succeeded. Throw out middle fingers mm-hmm. and... Okay, right. You've kind of gone too far in helping this person in that you've stopped helping them learn the game. You've stopped even just directing them to the rules. You've started advocating to them and basically using them as your proxy battle to rules lawyer, the game master. Yeah. And that is one thing that I wanted to hit as a caveat. I would never tell Chad that was wrong for right. rules. I would never correct him on rules. Mm-hmm. He could do something completely wrong. I might, after the game, mm-hmm. point him to our say, mention something. But I would never, while the game is going, ever say, that's not how that works. Right. Well, I think you can do that to a point. I mean, somebody can say, well, okay, I decided I'm going to do X. And the game master says, well, does it work? And my friend who's trying to teach me the rules, my advocate here, is going to say, well, no, actually, their spell does work this way. Maybe the game master just doesn't know. Like, oh, wow, okay, you're right. But there's a point beyond that. Right. right? Like, I would say, for example, if Chad said, 
they cast sleep. You're all asleep. I would say no. The elf. Is. Hey, there's an elf there. She's, yeah, she's immune to asleep. it. That I would do. Yeah, but not. That's not how that works. That's not how. What do you think you're doing there, Chad? I'd be like, well, I'm cheating, Wayne. <laughs> I'm the game master, and I'm Chad, and I cheat all the fucking time yeah. because I cheat in the player's favor and to make a good yeah. story. So and, I break the rules right. constantly. And if Chad were to answer, yeah, I say, oh, she's an elf. She's immune to sleep spells. And Chad would answer, she falls asleep anyway. Dun, that dun, then is an dun. interesting story point, yeah, and that then points out to the character. That shouldn't have happened normally. Right. Sure. Something right. is They've learned different. something. Yes. yes. They've learned. Oh, right. wait a minute. I didn't even know. I played elves because I watched Lord of the Rings and thought Orlando Bloom was hot or I don't know, whatever your decision process was. Hot but, bondage elf. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, you've right. gone from that to saying, well, maybe not a great bondage elf. Sleep doesn't work. But <laughs> you've gone from that to saying, oh, wow, I didn't know that, that mm-hmm. elves in this game are immune to sleep. And I think if I'm not mistaken in the current edition... They don't sleep very much either. They don't sleep at all. Oh, it's natural. They meditate. Yeah, they like go into like a torpor or meditation yeah. for a few they hours. They meditate. So something. they do everything that is sleep, only it's sitting. But it's totally not sleep because they're elves and elves mm-hmm. aren't human and they do everything different and better. Yeah. <laughs> Which made sense. I don't know if you can hear me rolling my eyes. <laughs> well, really it kind of like made elves. sense in Tolkien's universe because the way I always read it is that elves are basically a hu- version of humanity that never fell. And when I say fell, I'm right. talking like Garden of Eden story. Right, right, right. That right. elves never sinned. That, yeah, they, and they're more metaphoric. Yeah, and, and there's, and I don't know, somebody and, yeah. who's really into Tolkin made a baby. Oh, well, there's, you know? there's 20 people right now going, no, 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 what the hell? Yeah. You didn't read the Cimmerillion. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, as, as a Tolkien fanatic, yeah. I think you're pretty close on there. But yeah, the, that's one of the reasons why I liked introducing new players mm-hmm. and to and playing with new new players and playing with new um, people to to a new rule set. Like picking up a brand new game, you can't have someone who's sitting at the table yeah. is going to be a rules lawyer mm-hmm. because they don't yeah. know the game. Oh. Like I'm probably the only one who knows it, and I'm teaching it to you guys. So it's been a I, I love that factor. I played mm-hmm. in D and D games and and which everybody knew, and I love that the playing with the rules and the toying with those. But you get too many references per action again, <laughs> right? You know, but <laughs> nobody but, latched onto that. I'm really I'm trying, disappointed. I'm trying. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a good concept. <laughs> but I mean, in general, that's those are the kinds of games I would shy away from. I liked playing D and D because only because we knew it, right? Like, and it was a well known game. But I would shy away from those because it was too much. It became too much of a game to figure out how to game the game. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that they were trying to be jerks about it or anything. We we're just like, these are cool rules. I want to play with them. Yeah. Because that's how they're designed yeah. and how they're written. For example, you can have an epic level feat of having an epic level mount. Mm-hmm. The epic level mount gets an epic level feat, which could be an epic level <laughs> mount. <laughs> and so you can have an epic level mount with an epic level feat. So pretty soon you have the uh, <laughs> just turtles all the way No, what, what is that? The, the something musicians, the... Oh, there's this old fair, like fable about like it's like a rooster on top of a goat on top yeah, of a yeah, horse exactly. on top. It's it's it's, it's, a, it's some German story. The the Bremen town musicians. See, that some, reminds me of the the mech that you always talk about. The tech had where there's a mech inside mech. the mech. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I actually recently Chris Hussey gave us some magazines where FASA had republished some of our articles and even dug up some of the stuff that they had never previously published. And I had never seen this. I didn't know this happened. And one of the things they published in there was some of our mech Where's designs. Your check? Uh, well, actually, we did get one. 
Well, but, yeah, but the republic. Oh man! But we I owe you some money. I I looked. <laughs> yeah, I'll go after yeah, five cents. My, yeah, from a bankrupt company. <laughs> but I, when I was looking at that, I was curious if they published mm. the ejection Mac, and they yeah. did, they did not. Uh-huh. So I'm oh, prof- I'm profoundly disappointed. Yeah, but for set for right. uh, for rules lawyer, it's one thing. I've always worried about the settings lawyer. Mm. Yeah, and that's like that you say you specifically you typically don't run games where the other people know the uh the rules better i typically don't run games where someone else at the table knows the setting better than me well and i right there though i think you do have another learning opportunity which is you could have somebody who knows everything inside out about D, but they don't know anything about how dark sun works just as an example right. and so the idea that when you cast magic you are actually damaging the planet and there's things that go into that mm-hmm. and whatever. Or Star Wars is another one. We got into this. This was uh, years back where it was like three in the morning. And it was me and Chad, maybe another player or two or three. And the guy that was jamming was a huge Star Wars buff, which fine, whatever. But it was like three in the morning. We weren't really thinking straight. And Chad's not a huge Star Wars buff. And he said something to this other species that was like in the lore is profoundly mm. offensive to them. Mm. And Chad had no idea. <laughs> I mean, he probably didn't even know what was coming out of his mouth at this point. <laughs> the nitro had worn off and, <laughs> and whatever. And man, he just like really pulled you over the coals over this. I don't even remember. And this, this is something else. So yeah. just like the rules, I think you can have somebody be your setting advocate mm-hmm. where they step in and say, okay, I'm not going to tell you not to do this, but hold on here, just FYI, here's how that species works, and to say that to them is insulting for this reason, so if you want to insult them, see, then this is how you do it. If you don't, then... That gets back to our trap card episode, because your setting advocate needs to be the GM. Probably so. Because you you say something, and it's just like, it's like he's waiting there. It's like, you offer this guy a hamburger, but they're cow people, and you just don't kind of get that, Mm. and and the, the game master should say, are you sure that's what you're going to do? Because it's a cow right. person hammer. And they might say, that is exactly what I want to do this yeah. son of a bitch. Or be like, oh, crap. You said well, they had horns and spots. I did not get the cow thing. They're cow people? Holy crap, I don't even have this hamburger yeah. on. I thought that, this was a rare horned leopard. Right. <laughs> that is something every GM needs to remember is if that character would know that that's a bad idea, yeah. say it. Because otherwise it's the trap well, card. Because you it's did. like, oh, you offer him a hamburger? Well, yeah, why wouldn't I? <laughs> you stepped into my trap card. It's a cow alien. I'll take your own examples, even from your own gate. Sky's Glass. You guys were playing this, I, and I'm still catching up on the APs. I told you this earlier, but I'm, I'm not even... Way, giving people yeah. meat to a person in that game might go over well. well. I'm just... <laughs> it depends on the person. It depends on the and, person. And the meat. And the meat, yeah. yes. Guys, guys, guys. <laughs> um, but there are times, multiple times throughout the game, where... Whether you know, it's, sometimes it's setting, and so you're referring to Dan, okay, what's the setting look like? But sometimes it's character knowledge that you don't have as a character. Say, I I am a character. There is something I don't know about the world around me, the, the world we built together, like mm-hmm. the town of Herman, right. for example. You, there's something that you might know because your backstory is built around that. And so you've, you'll correct them, not harshly. You're not like, oh, you 
terrible person. You forgot about my cousin Annie <laughs> and how, how and, you know, right. <laughs> well, she's not a whore. That's the problem. No, though. she um, is now. That's the she problem. is now. <laughs> that's the problem. Huh. But <laughs> you get my, but and we're the know, bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> but it's said in a soft tone. You're not like yeah. you did something wrong. But you, you, I know I can't specifically call out a ex- specific example right now. But I know there's multiple times in there where you're, where someone says, well, just a heads up. If you do that, this right. is what that implies. This is what you're saying. Or, for example, it's a deadly system. Yeah. If you pull that gun, you know that that could really change things right now mm-hmm. um, and what we're dealing with. Characters could die. Right. Right. Yeah. right. You could, but we and, don't and, know. Yeah. He isn't caught up yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I'm not that far <laughs> along. Um, no one's dead yet except for Pops, but that's another mm-hmm. story. And Lily. My point is that you guys have specific examples of those things that you've already put mm-hmm. into your APs. Yeah. of times where you guys do this and you do it all the time there's there's in the background something that chad does fairly frequently and chad's not alone in this but it's just him doing it is most obvious to me and i think this is great advice if you are that player so if you are the player that doesn't know the rules or doesn't know the setting and i know sometimes even this much can be intimidating especially if you're really overwhelmed but i think it is a good place to start if you can which is instead of stating an action, state an objective. For example, you could say, all right, I know I'm playing a cleric in D&D, and I know clerics can heal. I I saw cure wounds, and it doesn't take a rocket surgeon to figure out what that means. So I say, okay, I want to help by healing. How do I tell who's hurt? How do I go about this? And somebody say, well, okay, well, Wayne's lost half his hit points, but he's playing a fighter, so he has a lot. Caleb's only lost a few, but he rolled crap and he's playing a mage, so he's got none to begin with. He's probably closer to death, but Wayne's taking more damage. And by the way, if you're going to do this, it's a touch spell, so you have to be close enough to touch them. HR can't look. Yeah. (laughs) Wayne's neck deep in goblins, but Caleb's all standing by himself. So With those come-hither eyes. Yeah, so I mean, you, you can kind of lay out, okay, this is how you can accomplish it. And this is the ups and downs of each path and try to educate them into a decision. But going back to the player that's ignorant, Chad, you do this all the time. You say, okay, I want to do something to irritate this person, but not get shot. (laughs) And it would be like, now, usually you come up with that on your own, (laughs) but I, you know, you've you've asked me questions like that. I'll be like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, probably this, this, and this is how you want to do that. You know, or here's some ways you could do that. What about this? No, that's going to get you shot. Okay. And, you know, we we have that back and forth, but I'm not telling you what to do. Right. I'm not dictating your actions. Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of educating you into the slot you want to be until you finally get the sense that, yes, this is where I want to be. This is the lane I want to be on. Mm -hmm. And then we go for that. Skies of Glass Game is an interesting example to look at where Chad and I have played in campaigns before. Mm Mm-hmm. I've run other versions of Skies of Glass. We know quite a bit about the setting. This isn't the rule system that I ran, that we've played in before. There are similarities. There are definitely some things that we see from earlier systems. So we came in, but here's our brand new system. So we're not rules guy, but we do have a lot of the setting to kind of help out. But then we also have to remember that our characters don't necessarily have the setting knowledge that we do because we've played in different locations. Well, and what I try and do as a player, and I don't know if I'm, you'll have to tell me, Caleb, if I'm successful <laughs> or not, because I haven't listened to it, but I don't want to give 
preconceived notions. I, I want to inform my fellow players who don't understand the setting as much as like Wayne or I do. I, I want to arm them with that knowledge, but I also don't want to flavor that knowledge either. Right. Like an example from, from our Sunday game, from the D&D game. It is now, it is a very drow heavy game. Drow is mm-hmm. the main bad guy. Lolth and the driders and stuff. Right, and, right. The underworld, sort of underdark. Yep, yep. And so we have all these drow, and we have players who are D&D veterans, like deep D&D players, sure. old school D&D players, been doing it for years. And I have a new player. Like, mm-hmm. this is their first campaign player, and it's awesome. I love having a new player because I can use I, I old stupid tropes, and they're like brand new for <laughs> What's interesting is I'm kind of in the middle of... Mm-hmm. I really like the rules. I've read all the all this. I get all the, mm-hmm. but I don't have that history or baggage or settings. So yeah. there's all these preconceived <laughs> notions of monsters. I don't have any of that. Have you guys picked up? But any, I can tell you how the rules work. Just out of curiosity here, and I won't take Chad's thunder. Mm-hmm. But have you picked up any really cool gear off the drow? <laughs> yes. I already did that. Okay, yeah. you already did that. They were in a cave, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh my god, look at all this cool." Shit spider stuff on it's all black and bondage gear it's like all plus we got the crossbows and we got the daggers the shorts and the armor we're gonna look awesome and then they go outside and i had like it was a game and a half later and i'm just like oh i'm gonna f- <laughs> yeah, because for anyone who doesn't know the classic drow gear if you take it out mm-hmm. into the, the sunlight sun. it melts it, it doesn't yeah. in fifth edition they describe it as it like loses its magical properties like in an obvious way, like it smokes or something. Oh, I thought in prior editions, yeah. I thought outright Maybe it was destroyed. Like I incinerated. They, they just basically just, yeah, it turns into ash. Yeah. And, in fifth, yeah. it does. In fifth, it so loses like its properties. Yeah, which is why one of the most brutal things you could do to them was uh, the sunlight or sunray yeah. type spells. Because yep. you could do horrible things to them with that. So what I'm doing in this game, because we have a new player and because Wayne had really been a heavy D&D guy mainly it's for the new player, is I'm taking these fantasy tropes mm-hmm. and I'm inverting them and then I'm reverting them. Okay. And, uh, so there's no such thing as dragons, which is the inversion, and then now there's dragons sort of thing. And it's just like dwarves and elves exist, dwarves and drow don't exist. They've never existed. And then I invert that and now they exist so and be, how the players are dealing with that. So it's be kind of like playing Shadowrun in the moments before the awakening. Right. That, only a little bit more narrow specific, so but yeah. Right, right. So when so, you, when okay. you say invert, flip, invert, revert, you're talking about the setting background. The history. setting and the, yeah. the way the players' backgrounds are made, the way the world that they built has Got worked. You. There has never been a dwarf in existence ever. It's not even a concept that right. they have. But now they are there in the world. Yep. Now they're they are there, the, and the now they, they yeah. have always been there. And how do you deal with that what so, do you do so the they've way, always been there but you didn't know that it existed the way it, this came yeah, about because right. you're bouncing around the actual example here right. a powerful wizard long time ago took the dwarves took the drow cast a spell and made goblins like gotcha. fuse them together yep. Yep. yeah the spell broke now suddenly there are years later the spell and suddenly there are drow yeah. nobody remembers crystal. that mm-hmm. they existed <laughs> right but now they're back right. yeah so they so they like all these goblins basically become yeah, now two separate. people. Yeah, two so, people. Yep. so in their world, when they made these characters and stuff, goblins were this thing, you have to deal with them, it's part of their mission, and blah, blah, blah. Cause they're like, yep. what's a dwarf? Nobody's ever, like, they might mention him, like, no, 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 you understand. That's not a concept you have. 
Got it. Sort of, so thing. this is a pre-setup yeah. that you walk yep. through the game. Yep. I was gonna say, I was gonna come back there. I was like, there's no way you could start off a game and say, well, dwarves didn't exist, but now they do, and get the characters that they. Right, you, yeah. you played multiple yeah. sessions without dwarves, right? Yeah. And then brought the dwarves. Yeah, and in. they're okay, going through the sense. ruins, and I don't say the word dwarf. Right. I right. just describe very obvious dwarven ruins, but I have made it very, very clear that right. there's no such yep. thing as dwarves. We're talking dwarves. thousands of year old so, dwarven ruins. Right, or and okay. so they're trying to like figure this out, and then they keep coming back to, well, it's dwarves, it can't be dwarves. So this whole concept of traditional, stereotypical, I don't do Scottish, dwarves, is now this new thing to the characters. Yep. And now goblins don't exist anymore. This world has had goblins. Goblins have always been there. Now there's no goblins. They, they don't exist anymore because they were never real. And in another thousand years, maybe it goes back the other way and suddenly it's like, well, well there's no such thing as goblins, goblins, but I saw one. I saw one, yeah. <laughs> Just like so, from the legends. So, well, to, and my example, though, is we have a new player and we have a veteran player. Mm-hmm. And so, drow are introduced. Like, boom, and the thing yeah. happens and there is a drow in front of you. Holy f- what are we going to do? The veteran player is, oh, drow, I hate these guys. You can't trust them. They're always going to lie and backstab you. You can't even talk to them. We just got to kill them all. The non-veteran player is, what is this? That's racism. <laughs> That's <laughs> racism. crazy. I mean, it is. I mean, essentially, yeah. well, you have she, some, yeah. well, she is an elf. Yeah, she's the right. player elf. is an elf. So she's right. an elf, and on the side, what I have done, and I... The hope that I've done it subtly to where the other players kind of maybe were aware of it, maybe weren't, is I have been feeding her slowly knowledge about the drow before the change. Because the elves are so long-lived, but they are so few in number, the drow are the boogeymen. Lolf is their Satan. Right. Right? It's what they use to scare their children, and it is taboo to even speak of it. Right, it's and, yeah, he who made us right. not be named. And it's and just that. like, now she has been getting hints for like a month that, is the boogeyman real? Yeah. It can't be. No, it cannot be. It can't be. These are stories we use to scare Black children. elves, that's not yeah, possible. Yeah, with the white hair. And I had to be very clear with her that what a drow was, it was not an African-American with pointy ears. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is a black color that no human being has ever been. This is been. obsidian black. Yes, this and is, it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah. And because she didn't know. In fact, I, I I was even, I did so much that I even pulled up pictures on my phone to show her yeah, so she understood. Yeah. This is obsidian black with yep. snow white hair. Yep. This is not, yeah. This, yeah, this right. is not a black elf. This, this is, is a drow. It's totally different. But like I said, though, the reactions were very different. I was almost a little disappointed in the veteran player because... I believe that they were trying to influence the view of Drow to the new player. Now, they're, they're evil, and they're bad, but I don't run a black-and-white game. Right. You know, they're going to have to deal with these guys. They just can't kill every single 50,000 Drow that they've stumbled upon. They have they're still to drought, They're still Drow children. They're still Drow children. They're still, they're just, they're still yeah. your possibility of a, I know... Trope, but Drizzt style trope, yeah, yeah. where you could have semi good right. or you know neutral evil, mm-hmm. and you know semi neutral, you know some of those yeah. gray areas. Well, and if if they're evil and horrible and backstabbing and terrible, I want her to find out this through you know role interacting play. and role playing, yeah. not a player going, oh, everyone you see you just got to kill. They're just bags no. of loot. Oh, they're evil. Yeah, that's something you'll notice. My character wanted mm-hmm. to yes, have you... a piece between... I did know that drow are typically that, 
but my character didn't know that. So as far as he's concerned, these are two new races. We need to bring them to the table and have peace. Yeah, until you learned about them. Right. <laughs> and then you learned about that they're slavers and they do humanoid sacrifice. And, and they tried to kill me. <laughs> they did try to kill you. So there's a concept I want to throw in here to close this out on. And I think you can do it for both setting and rules. It's easier to do it with rules. And that's a scrimmage. And what I mean by a scrimmage is you have a fake game. All right. So I'm trying to teach you, the new player, how to play some apocalypse hack. Right. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to sit down and we're going to go through a combat situation and some healing and some actions and whatever else. I'm going to create a scenario. Right. We're going to take a moment on the holodeck here. And I'm just going to create a scenario and we're going to play this out. And at each point, if you don't know what to do and we have to stop and explain, or if you do something terrible and get your head crushed, that's all part of this learning experience. All right. This is just the tutorial area before you go out into the real world. And I think you can also do this with setting to a limited extent. I think setting's a little more difficult because setting's more complicated in most games than the rules are. There's more to the setting. But we talked about prologue games and prologue games in a sense, because of the fact that they give you a gap between the prologue, something that happened five years ago or six months ago or whatever, and the game today where you can make some setting level errors or learn some setting level information and still find some way to mulligan that or to have resolved that to work it out you got sent to sensitivity training or whatever <laughs> before game one occurs. So in that intermittent period where supposedly six months or six years or six decades passed, then here's how things changed. And oh, I've done this with a couple of games, not just the prologue game, because we've done that recently. But there's been a few games. Oh, one that comes to mind is whenever I run the Star Trek ship on ship game, you have two teams of five people each. One person is the captain on each team. The other eight people, so four on one team, four on the other, each have a console. And they have to play the role of their console, which is a little worksheet. And they have to interrelate with the other consoles. So they don't have to know the other jobs perfectly, but they do have to have some sense of how they affect each other. And in the Star Trek game, I will always start the ships far enough away that nothing significant is going to happen in the first round. And I'll walk them through. Okay, so at this point, engineer, you're going to want to hand out power. I'm going to walk you through that step by step. You've got Mm -hmm. 60 points coming off the power grid, 10 from this warp nacelle, 10 from that warp nacelle, 40 from here, however it works. And so this is how we got this. And as those get damaged, this is going to go down. All right, now you need to give power to these three. And this is how they're going to use the power. And here's how the math works. And by the end of that first round or even second round or third round, They may have made terrible decisions, but they're learning the math. They're learning the concepts. Mm -hmm. They're learning like, oh, my gosh, I thought I gave the weapons console plenty, but they can't even arm one weapons bank or something like Mm -hmm. that. And it doesn't matter because they're nowhere close enough to the neighboring ship for any of these shots to be significant if shots even occur. If I was going to do this with an ongoing role-playing game, you better believe that first combat You'd either be fighting one little wuss-ass ship, or I'd pull the Wrath of Khan thing, mm-hmm. and we're going to start off with you guys in a simulator playing 
some kind of simulated combat. Maybe it's not the Kobayashi Maru. Maybe you can win this. But it's some kind of situation where even if you obliterate the ship, you can just laugh about it, and it's a point of role play, and the real ship is still out there sparkling new in its dry dock or whatever. Right. So one thing, I never actually say this, but I always feel this way. When running a game, I am perfectly fine with any of the players within the first three sessions want to completely remake their character. Yeah. Yeah. After that, then... Yeah, I I agree. I don't... After that, then, it's mm. kind of gone into, you know, the story, Mm. and you've done things like, let's say I use Mistform three game sessions in a row. Well, now you kind of set your precedent that that's what you do, and you want to spec out of that? Why? Mm. But three sessions is about right, because... At that point, you're still building everything up. And that, that even goes for using D&D as an example. If someone made a cleric, got mm-hmm. into the first combat and realized, that's not fun for me. Right. They want to become a paladin instead. They want to become mm-hmm. a something else. Go for it. Yeah. Right. Either we're going to hand wave it, hang a lampshade on it, or we'll maybe even do a bit of role play. And, yeah. You know. And then some of them, if you're not quite there, and this also differs from game to game. But some games have a rebuild mechanic. For example, I'm playing a druid in my current. I'm not running it, but I say mys and I'm playing in it. But when I level up, I'm allowed to reset all of my spells. Mm -hmm. So if I pick a spell and realize, wow, I'm just not using this. It just isn't that kind of game. Or, Mm -hmm. huh, there's a clause here I didn't notice that I thought this was really going to kick ass. And truth, it actually sucks. I can just drop out of that, and I, yeah. I just have to wait until I level up again, and then I can straighten it all out. And until then, just hang a lampshade on mm-hmm. it or drive around that pothole. And and now some games don't have that. Some games, once you're down that road, well, that's what you are, you know, and you've got to back out of that. And I think it is certainly incumbent upon the GMs. And look, GMs, you can still pull your punches if you know somebody's learning. If somebody who's a new player makes less than optimal decision, you don't have to crucify them. Mm-hmm. I mean, for heaven's yeah. sake, even if you're not pulling your punches with anyone else at the table, you can still pull your punches with that one person. And there are ways you can show them. The first combat that occurred in our current Skies of Glass game, we had some people who'd never played it before. I literally halved the damage the weapons were doing. Right. Two people should have literally lost their heads in that shot. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that that happened in your first Sky's Glass game. Yes, too. Yeah. that's what yeah. I'm talking about. That's yeah, that the one, one I'm referring okay. to. First, when you say the first, okay. Those weapons okay. are supposed to, at that range, they are supposed yeah. to do 4d6 of damage, not 2d6. Instead of like 6 or 7 point wounds, yeah. basically double that. They would have literally lost their heads uh, or had them so brutalized they were dead. And it's like, I don't need to do this. you know. Not in the first two hours of yeah, the first I can game. I can yeah. make a and point. read a book for it. Right. Yeah. I can right. make Wicked River. Wicked River. I can make a point that weapons are dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I even think I stated in there that oh these weapons weren't in the best shape or something to that effect. Well they were dead man's guns or yeah. yeah so they yeah there could be a chance for that you got the yeah. uh you got the sand in your eye versus the uh right. the sharp pointy bit yeah or did it misfired and there's rules yeah. for that which i wasn't using those either because then it could actually blow up on the user but the point being though that you know i i could still make a point without putting you guys on the cross mm-hmm. and game masters that is always an option and i, I i'm going to close out on this players do not intimidate people away from the hobby i have heard so many horror stories about people who got into gaming because this is the hobby 
where you get to do not everything you want, biggest live role playing, but you can do a lot of different things. You can really express yourself. Right. You can customize yourself. You can interact with these neat worlds. And the f- nozzle mm-hmm. to their left won't let them do it. Right. Because either they're condescending or they're bossy or they don't explain anything or whatever. And this person just gets stumbling and frustrated and then ends up either out of the hobby or years later drawn back into the hobby by some gracious soul who's not a complete prick. So, And if that douche nozzle's the GM, then they write a letter to Happy Jacks for a GM horror story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, precisely. And that's why we keep Happy Jacks funded through our lawn care, uh, is so that they can keep reading those emails. Mm-hmm. So anyway, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, Once again, Gaming with Gage, I appeared on an episode of his show. Check the show notes for a link to that. Check out his podcast. Great show. Had a lot of fun doing it. And that aside, have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. See ya. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2018. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.